Amen. What a joy to sing God's word back to him in worship, Psalm 45. The section that we sang is an Old Testament reference of the coming Son of Man, our Savior. Well, brothers and sisters, turn with me once more this Lord's Day to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5. If you are just joining us, we've spent three weeks and now a fourth here in these two verses. And so let me encourage you to hear once more the word of the living God, Galatians 4, verses 4 through 5. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. This is the word of the living God, and we say, thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Now, living God, we pray that by the Holy Spirit we may be enlightened to receive the truth of your word, that it would indeed enlighten our minds, change our thoughts, that it would indeed cause our affections to rise for the King of kings and Lord of lords. But that, living God, the practical realities of these two verses for our souls would be deeply stamped upon our hearts this day. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Martin Luther, in his famous work on Galatians, his commentary on Galatians, written in the early 1500s, writes these words regarding our text. How did Christ manage to redeem us? He was made under the law. When Christ came, he found us all in prison. What did he do about it? Although he was the Lord of the law, he voluntarily placed himself under the law and permitted it to exercise dominion over him, indeed to accuse and to condemn him. We have spent the last four weeks together in Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 5, considering four different elements regarding Christ, the Son of God. If you're just joining us, the book of Galatians was an early book written by the Apostle Paul uh, a decade and a half or so after the ascension of Jesus Christ. And he's having to correct some serious error. You see, a church, a church in a city, known as Galatia, had gotten the gospel. They had heard of the saving work of Jesus Christ. But a group of false teachers calling themselves Christians came along and said, you have to add to what Christ has done to be saved. You need to add circumcision, the Mosaic law, to Christ in order to be saved. And Paul boldly declares the glorious gospel news that it is not of works that anyone is saved, but it is of Christ and Him alone. And as he reaches a crescendo of glorying in the gospel of Christ, he teaches us four things about Christ in Galatians 4, 4 and 5. Just to review, that Christ's coming was brought about in the fullness of time. We heard that read a moment ago. We sang of it just a few moments ago. But this was God's plan all along. This was God's plan from the beginning of time. 
And that at just the right time, in keeping with all of the Old Testament Scriptures, fulfilling the Word of God in the fullness of time, Christ came. But secondly, we saw that this one sent was sent from God. One who already existed was sent. That Jesus came not only in the fullness of time, but that He is divine. Truly God. Thirdly, we saw last week that He was born of a woman. What a mystery this is. That the eternal Son of God, the One who has always existed, the One who carved out mountains by His very Word, created valleys and the beauties that we see all over the universe, that this One assumed our flesh, becoming truly human. Lastly, this Lord's Day, on this Christmas Eve, we see a fourth thing. That this One who came in the fullness of time, who is truly God and truly man, according to His humanity, was born under the law. And we get to that glorious refrain of verse 5, don't we? Born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. I want us to consider this phrase this morning, born under the law. Listen to Martin Luther again. He says these words, quote, Thus Christ banished the law from the conscience. It dare no longer banish us from God. For that matter, the law continues to reveal sin. It still raises its voice in condemnation, but the conscience finds quick relief in the words of the Apostle, quote, Christ has redeemed us from the law. End quote. I want to take you on a brief journey of the pages of Scripture this morning. I just want us to see two simple truths. I want us to see firstly the weight of the law. And then secondly, I want us to see the freedom Christ brings. The weight of the law. For this, let's walk through Scripture and see an overview of the law. Maybe you're just joining us and you think, what law is being spoken of here? For this, we need to review what the Scripture says from Genesis to the time of our text regarding the law of God. What is this law that we are all born under, that Christ was born under, that He might redeem us? Let's take a quick survey. Some of you will have walked these roads with me before, but let's quickly take a survey of the law of God. The law of God was written on the hearts of human beings. It was written on Adam and Eve's heart. Turn to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15 for just a moment. You see, for Christ to be truly human and to be born under the law, He is walking our footsteps for us. Romans 2, verses 14 and 15. For when Gentiles, boys and girls, that's a non-Jewish person. For when Gentiles who do not have the law, by nature, do the things in the law, these although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts. We need to be careful in thinking that it was only the Jewish people, the Hebrews of old, that had any kind of law of God. No, from creation, God's moral law, His reflection of His character was written on the hearts of all human beings. 
Throughout the book of Romans, the term law is clearly connected to the distinct law that God gave, written with his own finger, which we read of in Exodus chapter 20. Examples of this would be Romans 7, 7 through 13. Romans 13, 8 through 10. That there are a lot of commandments in the Old Testament, but that there is a distinct set of laws which reflect God's goodness and his character. It's the Ten Commandments, the moral law, written on Adam's heart. Now you may say, well, I'm not told in Genesis 1 and 2 of something written on Adam's heart. I remember God telling Adam and Eve not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But I don't necessarily remember discussion of the moral law or the Ten Commandments being written on Adam's heart. But for that, we have to put pieces of the Bible together, don't we? For instance, much later in the book of Hosea, chapter 6, verse 7, God, speaking of a rebellious people, says this. Listen to what he says in Hosea 6, 7. But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. Now we're told, much later, by the prophet Hosea, that what happened in Adam's day when he disobeyed was breaking covenant. What was that covenant? Well, it was a covenant of works. Adam, our federal head, our representative, was told, live, spread my glory, obey Live in this period of probation and you will enter, you and all of your offspring, into glory. Obey and you will not fall short of the glory of God. And Adam was given an outward rule. That outward rule was a picture outwardly of what it would be like outwardly To break God's moral law written on his heart. To break covenant with God. You see, when Adam and Eve ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, they weren't simply breaking a positive rule. One simple rule about fruit in a garden. No. Their taking of the tree was saying, God, you, your ways, your laws, they're not our laws. We will go it alone. And they break the covenant of works. Think of it, friend. When Adam did not protect his wife from the slithering voice of the serpent, he became a murderer. When Adam did not protect his wife from the doubts that came in from Satan and his God-accusing tongue, he no longer loved her as he ought. When they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God God was no longer their God. Their own hearts and their own ways became their God. They broke the second commandment. They didn't worship God the way He had instructed. They broke the third commandment. The serpent says, did God really say? And they made up their own words about God and who He was. On and on it goes. They broke the law of God. And guess what? You and me in them. You want a summary of this? Just read our confession, our church's statement of faith, chapter 19. It's all there. Helpfully summarized. So the law written on the heart of man 
given to Adam is now a law which we stand condemned by. They were, of course, removed from the garden, weren't they? Removed from God's presence. Death enters. Curse enters. And you see, the challenge of the covenant of works, brothers and sisters, was that it contained absolutely no remedy for sin. What were the terms of the covenant of works, boys and girls? Obey and live and enter into glory. Disobey and die. There were no terms of the covenant of works to forgive sins. There were no sacrifices in the covenant of works for lawbreakers. So Adam and Eve and all that follow after them are born covenant breakers, born lawbreakers, under the law and condemned by the law. But this law, again, is summarized much later. We see it when God takes a people out of a desert from their father Abraham and turns them into a nation. And one of Abraham's great-grandchildren, Moses, becomes a kind of mediator, a kind of leader. Before he's given a summary of the Ten Commandments, what do we see? Well, let me just use the Ten Commandments to give you a picture of what we see. Before the Ten Commandments are even given in Exodus 20. The patriarchs, the early Jewish fathers, demonstrate the belief that having no other gods is normal and right. Graven images and idols show up several times in Genesis and they appear to be problematic. The Sabbath, the fourth commandment, is mentioned at creation, but it's mentioned in Exodus 16 before it's given in Exodus 20. Dishonoring parents shows up in all host of ways. Esau. Murder shows up right after Adam and Eve. Cain, and it's clearly a sin. Now tell me this. If God hadn't written the, heart, the, the law of God on the hearts of Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel, then how do we know when we read it that Cain's murder of his brother Abel was actually sinful? You're just meant to assume that it's sinful because that law had been written on the hearts of human beings. Continuing forward, sexual immorality shows up in many of the Genesis narratives. Jacob and Laban steal from one another. Rachel steals from her father, breaking the Eighth Commandment. Adam, Eve, Abraham, Jacob all demonstrate deceit and lies. And Cain covets his brother's offering. You see, God's view of morality, summarized in the Ten Commandments, has been there from the beginning. And we, every last one of us, have been born under it. Under the law. Genesis 26.5 God says, because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. The law was written on the heart of man, given to Adam, broken by him, and thus all of us, but seen before Moses. But then Moses leads this people of God up out of Egypt. And God summarizes his moral law in Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy 5. And maybe you're joining us this morning and you're a new Christian. 
And you read your Old Testament, and if you're honest, sometimes you read it and you think, I don't know how to fully make sense of all this. I know it's about Jesus and getting me to a Savior, but I don't know how to make sense of all these rules. Well, the Ten Commandments is a summary of God's moral law. But there are other commandments given throughout the Bible in various times and places for purposes, usually attached to covenants. The first was don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That was the first positive command. In Moses' day, there were two types of positive commands. Ceremonial commands. You must make sacrifice for sin. If you're going to enter into the tabernacle or to the temple, you must be covered with blood. You must not touch certain kinds of dead carcasses. You must not eat certain kinds of foods in particular ways. But then there were civil laws. Remember, they were a nation. Disobedient children were to be stoned. Adulterers were to be executed. God gave these kinds of laws as a part of the covenant of Moses with the Ten Commandments all at its center in order to get these individuals to Christ. People born under the law. But the Ten Commandments always stand apart. And whatever covenant, whatever part of the Bible you're in, they're there. God spoke them. Unlike the other laws, He engraved them in stone the Old Covenant. And they are seen as the moral principle behind the laws of the Old Testament. Why do you need to build a fence on your roof when you're constructing something? So that you don't end up murdering someone when they fall off your roof. You see, God's law reveals what God desires from His creatures. Well, we fast forward from Moses all the way to Christ. And the religious leaders in Christ's day were taking that law and adding to it. And they were misusing it. So Jesus takes that very same law and teaches on it. One place where we see his teaching is in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7. And he corrects the misuse of the law by the religious leaders. One time when he's asked to summarize God's law, what does he do? You can read of it in Matthew 22, verses 34 through 40. He summarizes the law. Love God and love neighbor. Boys and girls, think about the Ten Commandments. The first four are about God. The rest are about what? How we treat other people. We honor authority. We don't murder. We don't commit adultery. We don't steal their stuff. You see, getting this right all the way through the Bible is important. Let me take you to one passage of Scripture to show you why it's so crucial. Go to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. There we read these words. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who is passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but, and then here it is, was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. If you've gotten all the way to the book of Hebrews chapter 4 and you don't know what sin is, you won't be able to understand what the gospel is. 
Sin is not what we define we need to be redeemed from. Sin is what God has defined from the very beginning as being written on our hearts and broken. Given to Moses and his people as a nation and broken. Utterly confused and trampled on by the Pharisees and corrected by teaching by Christ. But then kept by Christ. Jesus lived a perfect life according to the law of God. Yes, he obeyed the old covenant civil laws and ceremonial laws, even down to the nth degree. Think about which day he was circumcised on. The day that the ceremonial law of God prescribed for Hebrew boys. He was born under the law, but the moral law of God is a law that he kept. Friend, you need to know Jesus never worshipped another god. You need to know that he never worshipped God in a sinful way. He never dishonored God's name or His attributes. He never dishonored the Sabbath. He never rejected God-ordained authority. He never murdered or thought murderous thoughts. He never committed adultery or lusted after one. He never stole. He never saw the need to. He never lied. In every one of his 30 plus years, he never coveted a single thing. And the reason that this becomes so important is that when you see this Christ, you see according to the pen of Paul that he was born under this law. The weight of the law rested on his shoulders and he kept it. Which is why there is such glorious news when you read Paul's other letters like 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God. You see, the weight of the law is a weight that we are all born under as breakers of the law. You are born breaking God's law. And that weight condemns you. Christ was born under that law and keeps it. And then at a very particular moment in time, God, the triune God, credits the mediator the Savior, with all of your law-breaking. Adam's transgressions and Eve's being deceived. Moses' murder. Abraham's doubt. David's adultery. Noah's hopeless end. Samson's lack of faith and lustful living. Peter's rejection of truth when it counted the most. Paul's murderous life. And your sin, it was credited to him. The weight of your law-breaking rested on his shoulders. So when you read in Galatians 4, 4 and 5, the following words... You can rejoice 
Because not only did the Son of God come in the fullness of time, not only is He truly God and truly man, but He was born under the same law that you were born under, hopelessly lost, without any remedy for sin. And He keeps the law. And the burden that you are under, the burden of the condemnation of the law, He carries in your place. And this takes us to our second truth this morning. The first was the weight of the law, but the second is the freedom of Christ. Notice what our text says. Born under the law. Thomas Schreiner in his commentary on Galatians writes these words very helpfully. Those who live under the law, as noted previously, live under the dominion and tyranny of sin. Jesus, however, is the exception that proves the rule. He is the true offspring of Abraham, Galatians 3.16. The true Israel, Exodus 4.22. The true Son of God, He lived obediently to God's law, whereas all others violated God's will. As the one who lived under the law, He took the curse of the law on Himself, Galatians 3.13, so that He could liberate and free those who were captivated by the power of sin. Schreiner is absolutely right. There is a freedom that is ours because Christ was born under the law. But notice the purpose clause of this entire two sentences in Galatians. Born under the law, why? To redeem those under the law. Boys and girls, God has made special rules and every one of us were born having to keep those rules and we all break them and we deserve God's punishment Because God is holy and He is just. He cannot let one single sin or rule breaking go by. But Jesus came and He was born under those same special rules. But He never failed. Every single moment of His life, boys and girls, He never failed. And at the end of His life, after living perfectly according to those rules, God... The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit took all of our rule-breaking every time that we've ever sinned according to those rules, and He put the penalty for breaking those rules onto Jesus. And now Jesus is under the law no longer to keep it, but to be condemned by it in your place. And every last time that you've lied to mommy and daddy, Every last time that you've stolen something or wanted something in a sinful way that wasn't yours. Every time that you hated your brother or sister or friend. The Bible calls that murder, by the way. Every time that you did that. If you're in Jesus, God put all of that law-breaking on to Christ. And He bears the weight of it and He dies. Remember Adam? In the day that you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. The weight of all of the breaking of the law of God for all of the people who will ever trust in Him rested on His shoulders and He there hung for all the world to see. A seeming disgrace in the face of the religious leaders. A seeming disgrace in the face of glorious Roman soldiers. There He hung on the cross with all of your law breaking Weighing him down, and he paid the penalty. That's what the text says to redeem those who were under the law. 
The law rested heavy on your shoulders and there was no way for it to be off unless another came and bore it in your place. Another came to redeem you. You see, this phrase, under, is a phrase that Paul uses a lot in Galatians. Let me just give you a couple of examples. Here he says that Jesus was born under the law. But let's go back a chapter. In Galatians 3.10, he uses that word. For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Listen, friend, if your view of living a good and clean and moral life so that you can get into some kind of heaven when you die. If that's your view, you need to read Galatians 3.10. Unless you perfectly obey God's law, you are under a curse. Because those born in covenant with God by virtue of obedience, by works, only bring curse on themselves if they break the law. So Paul says, under the law, you're under a curse. Then notice what verse 13 says. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. See, this is why it's so crucial to understand how the Bible uses the word law throughout its pages. Here we were, floundering, drowning under the weight of all of our law-breaking. And Christ comes and He puts on our humanity and He lives a perfect life like we saw last week in our flesh. And then He comes and as it were, He takes the weight of the condemnation of law-breaking from all of our shoulders. And He removes you from being under the curse of the law. He takes it off your shoulders. Your shoulders. And your shoulders. And your shoulders. And He puts it on His own. And there, He hangs on the cross. You, not even born, have one who bears the weight of the law and its curse in your stead. So that when the time is right, the Holy Spirit awakens you and gives you faith. And you respond with those first few breaths of new life when you hear the gospel that Jesus died for sinners and He will receive you. And you say to yourself, I must have Him. I must have Him. He is the only way. He is the truth. He is the life. There is my sin debt carried fully and completely on His shoulders. This one was born under the law for me. That the weight of the law plunging me into curse would be carried by Him. Yeah, Paul says if you're born under the law, you're under curse. He says you're also under sin. Galatians 3.22, look there. But the Scripture has confined all under sin that the promise by faith in Jesus Christ might be given to all those who believe. So we've seen what? That Christ was born under the law, and this law is a weighty law, but then we've seen the freedom that He brings. 
He obeys in your place, and He's punished in your place. And the result is, verse 5, to redeem those that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. One commentator with the last name of Burke says it this way, quote, God's family comprises solely adopted sons and daughters. There are no natural-born sons or daughters in His divine household. Every last one of us has been redeemed by the Son of God. Purchased by His being under the law in our stead. Samuel Bolton, the Puritan of the 1600s, in one of his works on the law and the gospel, says this, As Christ by His blood redeemed us from being slaves, so by His obedience and Spirit He has redeemed us to be sons. You see, all of Galatians 4, 4 and 5 reaches its pinnacle in the glorious truth that sinners who are slaves to sin, fallen under the law, slaves to the curse, have through no work of their own been brought completely out of their slavery and brought into the household of God and adopted as sons and daughters. Seated at His table, bound for glory when Christ comes. This is the Gospel. The Gospel is, God says, I give you life. The law is, you obey for life. And we have freedom in Christ. So as you consider this Christmas season, the glorious reality of your Savior, He came in the fullness of time. Just the right time. He was sent... Meaning He is God. He was born of a woman. He assumed our flesh, every last bit of us, our ears, our noses, every last bit of it, born like every one of us, yet without sin. Because He was born under the law and kept it. And died on the cross to pay for the sins of all the people who ever trust in Him. Listen. Maybe much of this sounds like biblical high kinds of thinking. You're just here because someone invited you to come to church on Christmas Eve. Thought, well, it's probably a good thing to do. Let me try to be crystal clear. God put on our flesh and walked on this earth as one of us. He lived under the law. His name was Jesus, truly God and truly man. He perfectly obeyed. And then, in his 30s, he went to the cross. And he died there. Yes, he died a physical death at the hands of Jewish people and Romans. But as he hung there, his life was offered as a sacrifice. The sinless one being credited with sin. And he dies. And his death resounds all the way back to the first few verses of the Bible. Obey and live, disobey and die. He's credited with the disobedience of all the people who would ever trust in him. And he dies. But on the third day, he was raised. And the scripture says that all who are in him by faith 
will have the requirement of the law, God's requirement to live a perfect life, perfectly kept in him. And that all who have faith in this resurrected one will have all of their sins forgiven for his blood, powerful blood, saving blood, healing blood, his blood will cover all of them. Such that you, friend, if you choose Christ, you hear this message, you hear the words of Christ when he says to you, come to me. And I won't turn you away. I'll save you. I'll clean you. I'll forgive you. I'll wash you with my blood. You will be seen as perfectly law-abiding by the triune God forever because you're in me. Come to me. If you come to Christ, then His blood covers your sins. And you have atonement. Why do Christians get so jazzed every December? It's not because the malls are selling stuff It's not because Christmas trees are on the side of the road, as wonderful as that is. It's because God sent a Redeemer for us to get us out from under the weight of the law and raise us to the very right hand of His glory. So I would say, believer, indeed, you have every reason to have a Merry Christmas. God sent one to carry all the weight for you. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. Born of a woman. Born under the law. To redeem those who were under the law that we might receive the adoption as sons. Let's pray. Living God, You've taken Christians, believers, from being covenant breakers to covenant keepers in this One who was sent. The law weighed us down because it could only condemn us because we'd broken it. It could never provide any way for salvation. And yet you sent one to come. Just like us being under the law, but never failing. And one who actually received the full penalty of law-breaking, death. And you say to any in the world who have ears to hear, if you come to Christ, He will remake you and redeem you and save you. Lord, we pray that now the glorious reality of this truth would wash over the hearts of any who are here today who do not yet know Christ. Help them to see we praise you for freeing us from being under the law. Through this one who was born under the law for us. We pray this in Jesus' name.